Let's wrap up our study tonight. Wrap up this study that we've been undertaking with one another for the last 12 weeks regarding Jesus' statements and provisions and promises uh, to him that overcomes. We're going to wrap it up by looking first at Revelation 21 and verse 7. So flip all the way back to the back of your Bible. Step back one chapter into the 21st chapter of Revelation. Let's read that 7th verse there where he continues to speak to he who overcomes. And it says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And let's bow our heads once again and ask the Lord to bless our lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you listen to us. Father, we thank you that you have us in mind. You have us on your heart. Father, you had us in mind and on your heart well before we ever walked this place. Father, I thank you for the assurance that you have plans for us, plans of good, plans of peace, plans that we can hope in, Lord. And you offer to everyone that's present here, Father, to lay hold of everything that Jesus died that we might lay hold of. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the provision and the sacrifice that he made that we might win him. Help us, Lord, to be among those that can be him them, her, she that overcomes. Help that to be so, Father, I pray. Bless this lesson to us tonight, this review and this reconsideration of your blessed word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Seven statements to seven churches, some of them very brief, some of them a little bit more lengthy, a little bit more involved, a little bit more considered of different things and different angles. Um, regardless of how short or how lengthy they were, these seven things are promised and assured to him that overcomes or her that overcomes, whoever might be that fully victorious believer. Uh, I was just thinking as we were singing and praying just a moment ago about this book of Revelation. You know, it's interesting. I've had the opportunity when different teachers have asked me, what would you like to learn about in a, in a class or, or a Sunday school or, you know, express your interest about what we, what we might learn, what, what topics you want to consider in this class or, or whatever the case might be. And when I was a kid, I remember oftentimes writing the end times. I want to, I want to study the end times. And oftentimes I've had different people ask questions often or make comments or express things that they've been studying about the end times, the end times, the end times, and specifically Revelation. Uh, People are interested in that, and I think that that's fair. I think that that's uh, understandable because there's a lot going on here. There's a lot that will be going on, and the Lord presented it to John, and he presented it to us for a reason. But as I was just thinking, as as I was praying, like I said a moment ago, and, and singing our opening songs, it's interesting to me that this book that, that so many people puzzle and pour over and, and struggle with and consider and reconsider and, and lose sleep over even some. Uh, very, very quickly, look how he opened this book up. This book about the end times that so many people are so interested in. He opens number one in chapter one by telling us who he is. First, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, it says in verse 11. What you see, he told John, write in a book. What you see, write in a book, but make clear, uh, I want you to understand who I am. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. And before any talk about the wrath of God, before any talk about the judgments to come, before any talk about that 
time period that we call the Great Tribulation, the things in, uh, that go on in those end times, he immediately starts to speak to his people. Chapter 2, chapter 3, these things that we've been considering. He says, here's who I am. Here's what I'm, well, here's who you are. He leads off to each church saying, here, I know your works. This is what I know about you. This is your, these are your issues. These are your struggles. These are your victories. These are the things that, that, that I'm going to commend you for. And then he says, this is who you can be. You can be that one that overcomes fully. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Before any of the other stuff that so many people stumble and trip and, and, and embed themselves into, right or wrong, the Lord tells us who he is and tells us who we are and tells us who we can be. And so I valued this study, and I hope that you have as well. I didn't mean to uh, make those comments, but I just felt led to in the moment there. So tonight we're just simply going to kind of review and summarize and simplify the concept that's behind these, well, these seven statements that were made. I don't think I'm going to present anything that we haven't already considered at length, perhaps, in each one of these other lessons. Uh, but just a reminder lesson tonight uh, and a final exhortation as we consider him that overcomes, and our, I trust, our desire to be so. Uh, let's first, let me read these, well, these different provisions that we considered over the last several weeks. Um, what did he promise to him that overcomes? He said, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's in chapter 2, verse 7. He said, him that overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. That's chapter 2, verse 11. To him that overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. That's chapter 2 and verse 17. To him that overcomes, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. That's chapter 2, verses 26 through 28. The fifth statement he made was that him that overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, chapter 3 and verse 5. To him that overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name, chapter 3 and verse 12. And then finally to the church in Laodicea, that one we considered most recently, in verse 21 of chapter 3, to him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sit down with my father on his throne. Now as you read those things and as you consider them and look at those things and just kind of collect the thoughts that are there and the provisions that are there, I see a number of different things if you want to kind of dilute them down, or not dilute, but distill them down to what they are here without getting in the details. He promises to him that overcomes, I see food, <laughs> I see him promising life. He promises revelation, understanding, uh, uh, comprehension. He promises adoption and election. He promises authority to him that overcomes. Promises light to him that overcomes, purity, fellowship, a foundation to him that overcomes. He promises him that overcomes is going to be an integral part of the structure that is the Lord Jesus, of the structure that is the bride and how he's tied in and out there. I see him promising institution and union and royalty. All of those things is that him that overcomes is partnered together 
with the Lord Jesus. I see him offering all of those things that can be and should be inherited by him that overcomes. Now, I could go on and describe him a number of different ways, but you can recognize just by the sheer number of things that are there that he promises an abundance there. Jesus said, I came that they might have life. Do you have life in Jesus? Yes, I do. He says, I also came that they might have it more abundantly. Do I have that abundant life in the Lord? I want it. And I trust that you do too. Him that overcomes will lay hold of that abundant life because he will have lived that abundant life, seeking the Lord Jesus first and foremost, making him his purpose, making him his love, making him his desire and his motivation and all of those things. Now, we understand in regards to who him that overcomes is. And again, this is pretty much a review. But we recognize that Jesus didn't stop just by presenting to them that they would not be harmed by the second death. That was number two. And he didn't stop at number six where he said, I'll write on him the name of my God. God owns you. You are his child. But that being said, there's an abundance that there is there. But that being said, him that overcomes is an heir of God, begins at being an heir of God, one adopted into the family. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Adopted into the family of the Lord Jesus, God's family in his heritage, you can say, spoken of by Paul in Galatians chapter 4, identifying all believers because you are sons, sons of God. We understand that this is who we are. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, we can cry out to the Lord by the Spirit that is within us, that He is indeed our, well, familiar, our Dad, as it were, except so much greater, so much more than Dad. He is Father, and the tenderness of Dad, the authority of a Father, all of those things mixed in. He's more than just the sum of His parts. We can be sure of that. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so we recognize Him that overcomes begins there. He's an heir. The heir of someone, by definition, is one who receives property, one who receives a title, one who receives even something as simple as a name, but receives things of value from an ancestor, typically at the time of their death, typically. But an heir is someone who is in line for that. Now, we understand we are heirs of God, and even in the natural, you can have more than one heir. I have three, technically, outside of Allie. Allie and I have three heirs, Eli, Judah, and Jaden. We have a little bit of a different culture than they did back in that day. You know, if I gave Eli twice what I give Jaden, I'm going to hear about it. Even if I'm dead, I would hear about it anyway. Twice going to, you know, that's not how things work typically these days. Now, that being said, it's not always Not always, you know, everything's equal now. King Charles didn't have to share the throne, right, when Queen Elizabeth died. I bring them up a lot, don't I? Uh, But that being said, the firstborn, the firstborn, even though there were a number of different heirs. uh, It can be divided out, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an equal division. Um, We mentioned more than one heir. We know that Isaac had more than one heir, right? Jacob and Esau. He had two sons. Jacob had over a dozen children. We know most familiarly the 12 uh, sons of Jacob. Uh, The father of the prodigal son had two heirs. Remember the one came up and said, give what's owed to me. (laughs) You know, I want my inheritance now. He had two heirs. He gave him some. And he told the other one, the older one, when he came to him later on, he says, everything that I have is yours. And he meant that. I mean, there's a piece that went to that 
prodigal one. But he says, everything that I have is yours. So there are more than one heir. There can be anyway. But the inheritance isn't necessarily the same. We understand this. Inheritance is that money, that property, that title, or just a name, I guess you could say, passed on and received from that ancestor, again, usually at the time of their death. And inheritance, well, it's not necessarily equal between the heirs. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, we can see that in kind of a, not a perfect context to understand, but a good enough one. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Back in that day, under the law, it speaks of the context of the inheritance to be rendered upon. Well, if there are more than one wife in the picture, more than one, uh, well, if a man has more than one wife, be them alive or dead, you might say, but even if he has two wives or more than one wife and he favors one, well, he's not to show favor to their children. Deuteronomy 21.17, the firstborn was... Well, was to be honored so. It says, But he, the father, shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife, even if he prefers the other one to her, even if he prefers the children to that, shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him what? A double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. The firstborn in that culture, in that society, and not only those societies of the ancient Near East, like this, like we talk about here in biblical times, lots of different places honor the firstborn by giving them heaps more than the other ones get. By recognizing them, not just monetarily, not just financially, as though that is involved, but also in this situation, in this scenario, there's a place of respect, there's a place of authority, there's a place of oversight, there's a place of religious position and influence, greater responsibility, greater rank that's involved in being the firstborn, there's greater reward there. Now, we understand as we look at those two heirs of of Isaac's, Jacob and Esau, what did it say about Esau? He despised his birthright, wasn't interested in that, he sold it for a bowl of soup. Jacob, however, was interested in that. Esau, I believe, wanted the financial blessing out of it, but he didn't want the other totality, the totality of responsibility, the totality of the authority that was involved, the totality of the spiritual influence that was appointed to that firstborn who took on that inheritance. He didn't want all of that inheritance. He just wanted what he wanted. Perhaps you see where I'm going here. Jacob wanted, well, he wanted the totality. Rebecca wanted that for him to the point that she was willing to deceive her husband so that he might receive that total blessing, that total birthright, and have it secured for himself. She wanted that, and Jacob wanted that. Right or wrong in his methods, he wanted that, and he sought after that from his father uh, Isaac. Esau wasn't alone in being put aside for the younger in that manner. You can look in First Chronicles chapter 5, you know Jacob's own children? They experienced similar to what their dad experienced, Jacob being the younger, taking the place of the elder. First Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph. He sinned. And, and his birthright, that authority, that blessing, all the things with it, the respect, that inheritance was given to someone who preferred it better. Given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to his birthright. We understand that that's what took place. If you look at Jacob's own father, Isaac, Isaac was the younger, Ishmael was the elder. 
But the Lord's promise was through Isaac. He knew the hearts of those men well before they were born. As we prayed just a moment ago, the Lord knows us well before we come on. He doesn't guide us and steer us like we're robots, but through foreknowledge and understanding because he sees eternity front and back. He knows who will accept him. He knows what different ones will do, and he has a process and a procedure and a blessing set aside for those ones. He knows the hearts of his people, and he's not... Well, the Lord's not enslaved to cultural, social norms. He doesn't have to deliver to that firstborn by blood and chronology. Well, what's not do him? Uh, because he knows the heart. Ishmael, Esau, Reuben, God knew the heart. And they were withheld. Withheld from them was that greatest inheritance. Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, God knew those hearts and to them were given greater inheritances. They were given the birthright because... They desired such things. Now, to an extent, that's what we're looking at for him that overcomes. Ones that will desire all of the inheritance that the Father is willing to give them. It's just that simple sometimes. I know that I've made the, the exhortation a number of times over the last 11 weeks. You know, We need to desire the best from God. We need to desire Jesus. That It sometimes just comes down so simply to that. If you want to win Jesus, want to win Jesus, and move forward in that way. Jesus, the Lord tells us, if, if you want Him, seek Him. Seek Him and He'll be found. You know, you knock and the door will be opened unto you. If you want to win the Lord, then you simply go to Him and say, I want this. And He speaks to you and you obey. And He gives us what, what we want. Him that overcomes is an heir of God that wants to take part in that birthright. That wants everything in totality that the Father is willing to give them. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul lays out this process here and uh, how to... Well, what it means to receive, to be an heir and then receive greater inheritance. He speaks of everyone who is God's heir in Ephesians chapter 1. Speaks to those Ephesians saying that we have been predestined, having predestined us by foreknowledge again, by understanding who would believe and who wouldn't. He predestined us who would believe to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It was his will to show mercy to those ones that he knew would believe by sending Jesus to redeem them, that they might receive and be his. Uh, he goes on to describe what we received in verse 7. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redemption means salvation. Salvation means you're in, in the family of God. You are, well, we are brothers to Christ, you might say. We are family, brethren, one with another. And that means that we are heirs. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We understand it's a done deal. Then He describes what we're to go on and do. What the ultimate pursuit, what the desire, what the, what the justified motivation should be. The next step after we have become heirs. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be, should exist, should live, should entirely our purpose should be to the praise of his glory. That's what our purpose should be. And an inheritance awaits. A full measure of inheritance awaits. Not just piecemealing this one through seven. But the entire, the whole enchilada, if you want to use that term, the whole thing is waiting, those ones who are 
to the praise of his glory. Who live to the praise of his glory. Yes, him that overcomes is an heir of God, but him that overcomes who will pursue the fullest extent of that inheritance will be him that overcomes. The one who wants all of it, desires all of it. And that one will look for that abundance in this life. Not just hope for it in the next one. Not just wait and see what will happen, but we'll pursue Jesus. We'll think about Jesus. We'll desire Jesus and His will. We'll we'll seek to honor the Father just as Jesus did. We'll seek to be changed from glory to glory. All of those things. Esau didn't receive what was appointed to him as the firstborn. Jacob did because he desired it. And he took steps in order to receive that. Him that overcomes appreciates what the Father offers to him and appoints to him if he will simply take those steps to win Christ and receive that inheritance. Again, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, it goes on in verse 17 of Romans 8. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's something more. It's not just that word heir, but it means a together heir, a joint heir, just as it says there, a co-heir, a co-regent, some people use that term, joint heirs with Christ, with that tag, that disclaimer, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Him that overcomes accepts that deal. Him that overcomes desires that deal. Him that overcomes looks at that and says, I'm satisfied with that deal. I will take the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings because Jesus is in those sufferings. I am appointed with Him. I am hand in hand with Him. Shoulder to shoulder with Him. I will experience whatever He'll allow me to experience because that means I will know Him better. I, I still love talking medical stuff with Allie because we have that in common. She's in the medical field. I used to be. I love talking medical with her. I love knowing that stuff. You know, I'll talk shop with Judah and his new career choice and career path. I like talking about those things because you feel shoulder to shoulder, and I'll get rather, rather vehement about stuff. I got spun with Judah and talking about certain things regarding the old job today. I have strong opinions, and I enjoy talking with him about those things. Um... My goodness, I enjoy having things in common with the Lord Jesus. I do. Even if those things hurt. Even if those things are suffering, because the Lord says, suffering is part of your Christian experience. Suffering is something that helps you to understand Jesus. What He experienced, and in understanding Jesus, you have a closer walk with Him. A closer walk with Him now means an eternal walk with Him, as close as can be in eternity. And, well, if that's the case... Again, I trust the Lord will enable us for those sufferings, but sign me up. Sign me up, and may God strengthen me when those things come, and you too. Uh, These Ephesians that Paul spoke to, he spoke to some elders there. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he spoke to some elders from Ephesus when he was parting ways with them. And he talks to them about pursuing that purpose. These were saved individuals. These were ones who knew the Lord. These were ones who valued Paul and his word and his ministry and his brotherhood and and what he had taught them. And he says, so now, brethren, saints, people of faith, deep faith, I would imagine some of them, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able not to keep you where you're at, but to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Millions and millions, I imagine, of sanctified people, people who have been set aside as saints. I want to be one of those, and I want 
all these ones who are dear to me here. I want all of God's people because all of God's people are dear to him. I would love for all of God's people to please him in the manner that winning Christ would please him. I know it's not going to be so because I know human nature and we can read it in scripture that that isn't going to be so. But child of God, we who assemble here together and have been blessed with this understanding and this exhortation, it can be ours to be built up and to receive this inheritance among all of those who will not lay hold of that inheritance. And that should be our purpose. And that is the purpose of him that overcomes and overcomes fully. We understand that's not everyone's purpose and we can see that as it plays out here in Revelation. As you move past the second chapter, the third chapter, you can see, well, the Lord gives us some understanding and, and some, well, gave John a vision, gave him to see what was coming, and he helps us to see by extension. Look in Revelation chapter 7, and we can see that some of God's heirs, those ones who, well, who don't seek to win him, who don't seek to be those full overcomers, we'll see. Well, we'll see how they present themselves here. We, we see a number of ones who do, certainly. We see those ones who look to enrich their inheritance, those ones who spent their time awaiting His coming. We see the four living ones, the 24 elders that are in the midst and around the throne wearing crowns and throned in robed, bearing out different aspects of the Lord Jesus. We see other ones that are present They don't ever take another step in faith after they believe, perhaps. And we see those ones who fall somewhere in between. In Revelation chapter 7, we see a multitude who's separate from those four living ones and separate from the 24 elders, separate from the angels even. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we see the, well, the example, as I've said before, of the vast majority of the body of Christ here. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Him that overcomes will have a white robe. He'll just lay hold of much more. Clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And as we've considered in the past, if you want to understand who different individuals are, particularly as you read about them in Revelation, as we look into what heaven's going to appear like, and all the new earth and the new heaven and the like, look at where they are, look at what they're wearing, and look at what they're doing. We see these ones standing before the throne. You all are sitting before me. You're not up here you know, intermingling with me on this place up here. I'm kind of lonely up here. You guys are out there, standing before me. Uh, They're wearing white robes, we see. What are they doing? They're waving palm branches, praising Him for what? For salvation. I'm grateful for salvation. We see these ones, they're believers. But it seems that they were ones who merely believed, stood before and lived before God. Lived before Jesus, you might say, in this life. We've said it a number of different times that what we do here in this life will reflect in it in eternity not just echo i don't want to say that it will echo in eternity because an echo is a repetition of what's already been said it's going to be exponentiated in eternity what we do here and if we choose to just live our life before the lord jesus standing before him living our life doing as we so choose we are his heirs certainly but with god merely looking on us and not 
trying to be involved with Him, not trying to be in fellowship with Him, not seeking to intermingle with Him and what He's doing day by day and moment by moment. If we live our life just standing before Him, guess what eternity might just look like for us? Standing before Him, looking at Him. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be satisfaction, there will be contentment in in seeing the Lord Jesus without question. But these ones stand before the throne. And they're looking at Him and they're crying out the only thing perhaps they knew or the only thing that they depended on, and that was salvation. They didn't pursue the fellowship of His sufferings. They don't converse with Him. Maybe their prayer life isn't what it should have been. They don't understand Him in this life. They don't know what it is to be led and obedient to Him. They know His salvation, perhaps, perhaps a little bit more. But they lived their life before Him rather than with Him. And we see that eternity reflecting it as it goes on. Look in Revelation chapter 7, verse 15, for these heirs of God. Therefore they are before the throne of God, as we mentioned a moment ago, and serve Him day and night in His temple. Not bond service. This isn't bond service and slaving before Him, but serving Him where they didn't fully serve Him in life. It goes on to say, He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Well, He wasn't welcome so much to dwell among them. In life, they they weren't interacting completely. And so now they have a better understanding of that. They are blessed in that they shall neither hunger, neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. Saints, I appreciate the Lord's willingness to shepherd, but we do understand that He wants to be our shepherd now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I believe that there are those ones of the body of Christ that, well, the Lord is their shepherd, but they continue to want. They continue to want for things otherwise, and they haven't put him up as their shepherd. Haven't allowed him to lead them and guide them. Haven't allowed them him to open the door that they might go in and out and find pasture and find peace in him and be quiet and still before the Lord and know that he is God and seek him and find his direction and his leading and being satisfied in him. And so they are, I don't want to say relegated, but you see them here being led and being shepherded and taken to the waters where they could have and should have been satisfied in in this life. He's shepherding them. And again, I value that He is the great shepherd. And I value that tender thing that He takes His lambs up in His arms. But saints, He's not shepherding the one that He shares a throne with. He's not shepherding those ones and leading them. Those ones are side by side with Him, joint heirs with Him, not being shepherded. Those ones that didn't allow Him to shepherd them in this life are the ones that will look to be shepherded in eternity. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, but there will be tears, I believe, for a time. There will be a realization when they stand before Him. Well, that they left some things undone. I'll just say it that way. Some will have settled just for eating the tree of life in this life. Some will settle merely for wearing that robe in this life, and it's going to show in eternity. But saints, him that overcomes will not settle for those things. He will look for abundance. He wants the food. 
the life, the revelation that he promises. The adoption and election, the authority, the light, the purity, the fellowship, the foundation, the rest. The integration and institution into the foundation and the the solidarity that is the new Jerusalem and the temple that's within it. He wants all of those things. He wants the union and the royalty that comes with being joint heirs with Christ. He wants that now. Not saying, I want these things now, but the desire for those things to come He has now, and he pursues those things. He pursues the bread of life. He pursues the revelation, the hidden manna that is offered to him now. He asks the Lord to reveal those things. He wants the adoption and the election that we have, and he walks as a priest and a king before the Lord. He walks in purity. He walks in fellowship. He takes himself as a foundation, as an integral part of the body of Christ, a rib portion, if you will, supporting that to the measure that the Lord allows him to, closest to his heart and his breath. Saints, the one who will inherit all of these things to their fullness has a taste for them today and looks for those things today and desires them for eternity. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, not settling on just being an heir, but desiring a full inheritance. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Him that overcomes is going to place God first. No distractions, no things that should take his, that would take his place. Those things that would take the place of God, well, we call them idols, don't we? There won't be any idols in the heart and in the lives of those ones that will overcome. No distractions holding their attention. And him that overcomes will be, well, I will be his God and he shall be my son. Him that overcomes will be a co-heir, joint heir with the Son of God, sharing a throne with Jesus Christ. That's a full inheritance, saints. What an abundance that God offers to the one who will receive all of it. He offers and offers and offers and gives us to receive. All heirs of God should pursue and seek the greatest inheritance that is available to us. All heirs of God should pursue that place of him that overcomes. May we fully overcome through Jesus, with Jesus, and for Jesus, for the glory of the Father. And that concludes our study, child of God. I pray for you daily, saints, that we would all lay hold of those things that the Lord has for us, that we might be a part of that highest calling that he has for us.